0: Welcome to though. Today we have guest Abby Lutus on the podcast. She's a life coach, speaker, adventurer, and she's the host of the Wanderluster's Mind podcast. Welcome, Abby. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here on your podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to traveling? Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. I
1: love traveling. <laughs> I think I discovered traveling at a very, very early age. My family was always very adventurous and we would go off on on holidays generally just around Australia. Mum and dad had a caravan and so we'd pack everything up and travel. We did adventures around Australia and every year we'd always go somewhere. So I think that's where it always, my lust for travel had begun. Then uh, I guess as I grew older, I was uh, involved in, in sport and that led me to travel even further and I was able to go abroad. I also went abroad with with school. And then I came back to Australia and I was really kind of stuck, not stuck, but I dived right into university and working. And that time I wasn't so ingrained in travel I suppose and until I got to this moment where I felt like my career was kind of going off the path of where I really wanted it to go and I had this inkling perhaps this little intuition that was saying what are you doing working at this desk job this is not really what you're meant to be doing and and so I really listened to that and I continued to to hear it and um then I decided to act on it. So I booked a ticket and I decided that I was going. I I had no idea how long I was going to go for or exactly where I was going to go, but I had a ticket to Buenos Aires and yeah, and then I packed up my life in in Melbourne and and landed in in Buenos Aires and I ended up traveling around South America before Heading over to Canada, where it, I eventually lived for uh, three years in Canada and then have since returned back to Australia. And, and I'm still traveling now in, in many different forms. So I love travel. It's, um, I think it's something that's stitched into my, my heart somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. It sounds like you've been to so many places and that it's a really big part of your life, which is pretty telling to how powerful travel can be. I think it really affects a lot of us pretty profoundly.
1: It does. I think what I've learned from travel is is that you can learn so much and there is so much out there to see and, and not only learn about the world, but learn about yourself. So I think that's what I've really loved about all the traveling adventures that I've been on.
0: Definitely. So you're here to tell us a travel story today. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk about some crazy
1: things that we do when traveling. So I, back before... I guess I I went on this big adventure to South America and and ended up landing in Canada. I was I saw an advertisement in the local paper and it was an opportunity to go and race bobsleds for Australia. Oh, wow! And I thought this is cool. <laughs> I was a I was a sprinter at the time and yeah, I thought this looks interesting. I want to give it a go, and so I went along to the training and you know here in australia we don't have much snow we definitely don't have a bobsled track but <laughs> we did have a bobsled team and so i went along and saw what it was all about and before I knew it, I was off on this whirlwind adventure around Canada, North America, and Europe, learning how to bobsled and eventually racing for Australia um, on the on the bobsled team. So, what a, what a crazy journey that was!
0: <laughs> wow. So you hadn't bobsledded at all?
1: No, I I mean in Australia it's not really something that you think of doing. There's there's we do have snowfields here, but we definitely don't have anywhere that could you know hold a, a bobsled track, and so. So uh, I'd seen that there'd been uh, some successful ventures of getting sprinting athletes into sports like skeleton, and so now this was just a similar pursuit for bobsled. And so I had never done it before. In Australia, we had learned how to to push a sled, and you know we'd done all the other types of training that we could do to prepare ourselves uh, before going over. So it was it was quite an adventure. We went to Calgary, it was our first stop and it was, I guess this is kind of a very similar story to, to Cool Runnings and the Jamaican <laughs> bobsled team. We we went to Calgary and it was my, you know, it was really my first time of ever seeing snow. I had never even been to the snow in Australia and so we got there in, in October, so actually there wasn't snow at that time, but the bobsled track was, was up and running and yeah, and off we went it was such a terrifying and exciting and a really fun fun journey and trip all in all
0: so what was it like to see snow for the first time
1: it was really cool. I remember the the first time that it sort of like really hit me. We had, um, after leaving Calgary, we flew over to the other side of North America and um, we went down, we were driving down to a place called Lake Placid, which is in New York state. And we were driving through a blizzard and it was just the most insane thing I'd never really experienced. No, I was <laughs> 23 and I, I was just watching, like, what is this? And it was quite nerve-wracking. We were driving at night and... We were having to be very careful on the road and we weren't sliding around, but, you know, it was possible. And so it was it was awesome. It was such a
0: great thing to see snow for the first time, you know, as an adult. And then was it wild to go bobsledding for the first time? Was it scary at all?
1: Oh, yeah, it was it was wild. It was like something that you can't really ever dream of. And, you know, I look back and think, you know, do I actually do that? So I remember before leaving Australia, I would have lots of dreams leading up to this day and what it was going to be like. And I'd have dreams that I was going down a free fall ice track in a a bobsled and it was just going at a million miles an hour. And as I said, we got to Calgary to do our first few training runs. And I just remember being petrified it was it was so new to me and there was all these things that I had to concentrate on and you know once you once you're in the sled and you're going down the track there is no turning back at all so (laughs) I remember going down on that first run and just holding on for dear life and I I really didn't expect to I – I just didn't know what to expect and we went so fast and the speed and the G-forces that I experienced, we did two runs that day and that night I got home – well, got back to the hotel where we were staying – and my forearms were like rocks. They were so sore because I was holding on for dear life so tightly. Oh gosh, it was um, it was such an experience and I relaxed a little bit from there. But yeah, it was such a funny, funny experience that I was just holding on for my dear life.
0: Did it get easier, I'm sure, as you practiced more? Was it just as scary when you do it 100 or 200 or a thousand times, or did it kind of get a little bit less intimidating?
1: Oh, yeah, it definitely got less intimidating as we went on. And you know, the next track we went to, as I mentioned, was in in Lake Placid, and this was a more difficult track. And so, it, you know, that had an element of scariness to it as well. And we. Had been told that there was it was bound that you were going to be crashing at some point. It's it's pretty much unheard of that anyone would ever go down on a, a you know and have a bobsled ride if they were doing this as a sport and competing, and then they wouldn't have a crash. So then my thoughts sort of turned to oh my gosh, what's it going to be like to crash? And so yeah, we went to Lake Placid. Yeah, <laughs> went to Lake Placid, which is a bit more technical track and. Actually, this is where we ended up having my first crash and – we, we ended up um, crashing in the lower part of the track. So by this stage we had got quite a bit of speed up and um, we were whizzing down and, and the sled turned over and you just have to hold on for dear life. And, you know, I, I think my forearms had got used to what what it felt like to hold on by this stage that, uh, that you know, they knew what to expect and it was an insane feeling like the with all the G-forces we're trying to rip us out of the bobsled and you're trying to hold yourself in because that's what you that's what you meant to do to protect yourself and I just was thinking when is this gonna stop I need to get out and (laughs) reevaluate how it's all gonna go so oh that was just funny it was hilarious
0: so when you crash are you trying to stay in the bobsled is that the strategy I don't know anything deep about bobsledding so
1: yeah well in this occasion yes there were two things that I was told and that was you know if if the crash was at the top of the track then you probably want to try and get out of, of the bobsled to avoid sliding all the way down the track, perhaps on your back with the sled on top of you. But mm-hmm. really, if you're at the bottom of the track, you are going so fast that it's more important to be protected and to hold on and pull yourself into the sled so that, you know, if um, if anything is to backfire, that you're not sort of flailing around going at 100 kilometers an hour or something and, you know, and being flung out of the track could be even more dangerous. So in in this occasion we we held on to the sled. And I think that most crashes in Bobsleds would happen further down the track when the sled has gained more speed. Fortunately it was um it was just in our training run and, and not in competition. So <laughs> we're able to get used to that feeling and certainly going back up and and going again was you know, I was so nervous to get in that sled again and the second time round we crashed again and so you know Aww. I think the more you do things, the more it becomes familiar. And so – from from then on, it sort of you know every time it was still nerve wracking and still scary, and there were more crashes after that. And but you you
0: do start to get used to it in a funny kind of way. That's good. <laughs> so then you were still just practicing in Lake Placid, yeah. And then did you continue traveling to practice in different locations, or at what point did you start competing and traveling?
1: Yeah. So from there, uh, we had the two training runs in Calgary, and and then two more in Lake Placid and so then we went back to Calgary and, and we launched onto some racing. We, we went onto the World Cup circuit. We were actually uh, trialing to um, to gain a spot in the Olympics uh, for 2006 when they were in Turin in Italy.
0: Wow. That's
1: exciting. <laughs> oh, it was so exciting. Um, we had a, a contingent. There were a few teams. We were the B team for Australia. So it didn't dampen our spirits or anything. We still were very excited to be on this journey. So yeah we we launched into it and and did some competing in North America before heading over to Europe um getting to do some more training on on the track in Italy and and then more racing throughout Europe which was absolutely amazing
0: so then how does the circuit work for competition is it a tournament style are you guys just competing Non Yeah. So as
1: um, as we were trying to qualify for the Olympics, we had to gain a certain amount of of points on the World Cup circuit, and so we were predominantly racing in in those events and we were sort of following that program but along the way there was some other smaller races that we could do so we also competed in a europe cup which um didn't necessarily have all the big guns and it was probably more for experience so unfortunately we didn't we got to a point where we knew that we weren't going to qualify and and i had other opportunities in in a different sport back in australia so i had to make the very hard decision to say i think i want to go home and and Um, take on this other opportunity Mm. back in Australia. So uh, as as wild and exciting as that journey was, um, there was other great things ahead for me.
0: Sure. So how many countries did you guys go to while you were on the circuit? Were you just traveling constantly? Would you stay in one place for a while? How did that kind of work out?
1: Yeah, well, we were constantly on the move. I mean, we started in Calgary, we spent a couple of days there before going over to Lake Placid for training. Then we flew back to Calgary for the competition before flying back to Lake Placid for another competition there. Then we left North America and went over to Europe, where we were in Italy, we were in Austria and um, Germany as well, and we were going to be heading back to Italy. But that was at the stage where I decided to to head back to Australia. But during this time, it was sort of coming into winter, obviously, and. It was so incredible in, in some of the snippets of our downtime to be able to go and explore, you know, some of these beautiful little European towns at this time when it was snowing and, and getting cold. And I hadn't really experienced much overseas travel at this time. So for me, it was a real eye opener. It was, it was absolutely amazing.
0: That is incredible. That's nice that you got some downtime to enjoy some of the corners of Europe as you were traveling so much yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think the situation is is unique and really fascinating because you're traveling kind of for work because you're competing professionally but it's not like your work is travel right it's just a factor of what you're doing so what was that juxtaposition like as a athlete competing and then juxtaposing that with traveling as an athlete that was the focus of the trip we were there to
1: train race compete and and that was really the main focus so anything that revolved around that had to come first and it was, it was long hours and it was not only the preparing and the racing and the competition itself. It was just everything that went on behind that. And and there was so much work involved with maintaining the bobsleds and making sure they were ready to go for the race and preparing them after training. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, of course, traveling to all the different locations and doing the registration and all the extras that came along with that. And I guess because it was at a time where I hadn't really done much overseas travel just for leisure purposes before that and I had been really quite ingrained in sport prior as a as a sprinter. Although it was really tempting to be going and seeing – all these other places. I think if I was to go back now, I would just be wanting to explore all over the place. And it would be hard to keep that, you know, the competition and the sport as a central focus. But at the time, I was really ingrained in in that identity as an athlete. And the sport did come first. And so that was easy for me to put it first in that situation.
0: Nice. And then since this was one of the first times that you were traveling overseas extensively, would you say that this trip gave you the travel bug was it kind of the impetus for future travels or just a travel experience in one of many yeah I'm not really sure if it was what gave me the travel bug because it sort of had a
1: different focus and I did go back to Europe a number of years later and perhaps it was that trip that really sparked the travel bug for me I did go back for another competition but this time it was for sprinting And the idea was that we were going to go to this competition in Germany and then after that we would travel for two months and perhaps it was that travel and backpacking around Europe where we didn't really have a plan and, you know, going out to explore was really the central focus after we had been at this competition and so... I think it was that time that really gave me this lust for travel and being so curious to go and see other countries and and what it was all about.
0: That's awesome that you got so many opportunities to travel while you were doing other things that you're really passionate about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I was so lucky. And I mean, I guess too, I really took these opportunities. I really embraced them. And I think we're all, you know, we're all faced with opportunities in our life. And sometimes we don't take them. And, you know, I just saw, these as the next exciting thing. And, and, you know, some people would say to me, you know, how could you do that? Or I I don't think I could ever do something like that. And I think that's a bit of a throwaway comment because we can all do these things it's just you know do you have the courage are you being are you prepared to be vulnerable and and take on these opportunities of something that you know you probably don't know much about and I think that's really where the adventure lies is when you dive into that curiosity and and take the opportunities that could lead you somewhere exciting
0: that's definitely true I really like the quote the first step is half the distance and I think that's very true with traveling is Just diving in and booking a flight somewhere or taking the first step to plan some travel is really half the distance in my mind. Even for me as a person who's traveled quite a bit at this point in my life, it's still every time I plan a trip, it's the same thing where it's like I just have to decide that I'm going to take time and energy to go on this trip and to go experience a different part of the world and I have to make it a little bit of a priority, at least enough to just take that first step of booking something. And I think that's really as simple as it is sometimes. And for people who haven't traveled maybe as much or haven't traveled before or are nervous about traveling, even as a seasoned traveler, it's the same thing every time. Like you just have to jump in and go for it.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I love that you said that because Yeah, it is. It's just that first step. And I think what you mentioned also about booking the flight, it can really be the catalyst that will, you know, slingshot you into this adventure, because I know that was the case for me when I ended up quitting my job and and leaving Melbourne behind and and heading to Buenos Aires, because I remember it all sort of coming to a bit of a head and like, what am I going to do? And as soon as I booked that ticket, it just was the flight that's all I needed for me to then say well now I'm going and I was very nervous because I was going on a solo mission and I didn't really know and I was explaining how nervous I was to a friend of mine and he said to me look You don't have to get all the way down the road. You can just look at what you have to do next. Like, don't worry about, you know, 10 steps ahead. Worry about what the next step is, you know. Firstly, you'll get on the plane, then you'll sit down, then you'll take the flight, and then just look at what is next for you. And I think when I approached it like that, I really found it a lot easier to digest as such. And, you know, sometimes we forget that it's as simple as booking a flight. I am back in Australia now and have been wanting wanting to go away and and do a hike up in the north of Australia. And and I use this analogy of just booking that flight. I use that again to really propel me into this next adventure. And I was looking at the flights and I thought, you know, I just have to book the flight and then it's going to unfold from there. And, you know, you have a deadline and and you have to work towards it, whether that's planning or um, what it's going to involve that's what you need to do. So, yeah, it's a, it can be a really fun time because it starts to spark all the excitement and and you start to do the research on where you're going and it can be really fun and an enjoyable process.
0: Definitely. And I think you alluded to it as well is that those are skills that you take back with you into your normal life of just taking it one step at a time, not getting too far ahead of yourself. These are steps to accomplish anything we want in our lives and it is the same for travel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we have to learn these um, these lessons from traveling and, and bring them back to our everyday life. And yeah, it, it can absolutely relate. And it could just be stepping into that, you know, that next big project or the creative idea that you have to get started. But sometimes if we don't take that step, we, we don't know what's going to unfold and, and we get held back. And that's when, you know, our ideas can sometimes sadly die with inside us. And and that can be sad because you just don't know where
0: these things are going to lead you. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think there's a lot of awesome life lessons to be learned from traveling. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you focus a little bit on reverse culture shock in your life coaching and kind of that's a focus that you've taken when you examine traveling. Do you want to talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So As I mentioned right at the beginning of our chat, I lived in Canada for three years. And so when I came back to Australia, I was really aware of this experience of re-entry and reverse culture shock. And I really thought I was prepared for what I was going to face. And, you know, I'd seen other people experience that when they'd come home from long-term travels at they go through this patch, which is a bit of a funk and they feel lost or they feel stuck or they feel trapped and they just don't know what to do with their life. And I thought I was ready for it. I, I thought I was prepared just because I, I knew that people around me had experienced it before. Mm-hmm. But when I actually went through the process itself and and for myself, I realized that I don't know if there is anything that can really prepare you for for what you're about to face. And it can be a really difficult time depending on, you know, your past experience, how long you've been traveling for, how remote you have been living, how long you've been away for, all those types of things. And there are so many different areas of your life that it can affect. And I think going through that process myself, I found – like I was looking for someone to help me along the journey and so toward the end of it um, I started studying life coaching and then I got this incredible idea of what if I can help people through this process and um, it was definitely something that I would have chosen to, to take on if I had have found the right person and so then I went to start creating, uh, you know, a life coaching program that would support others going through this process because it can be a really difficult time to navigate through and you can find that there are people around you and the people that are close to you, they just don't relate to you. They, I mean, and rightly so. They haven't had these experiences that you have had. You, in most cases, have had an incredible life-changing you know, heart-opening experience from Mm. many different places that you have travelled to or you've set up a a new life in a different country, you've gone to work to establish, you know, friend groups and a career and and all these types of things and then all of a sudden you're back home and people are at different stages of their life and you're at a different stage of your life and, you know, you can't blame people around you and you can't blame yourself it's just you it's just different to what you most likely are, are going to expect and it's just about navigating your way through the transition and and perhaps you know i like to look and focus on how you can use the inspiration from your travels because I mean, we come back from travelling with so much inspiration and what we've seen and the things we've done and what we've experienced. And ideas pop up in our minds of, of things that you know perhaps we might want to do. And so I really like to think about how can we harness that inspiration and use that to take inspired action to step forward into the next chapter of your life.
0: I think that's really incredible that you've not only combined two passions of yours, life coaching and helping people with reverse culture shock, but that you're dedicating so much time and energy to this subject because it is a really important important subject and I think it affects a lot of people not only those like you mentioned who maybe have been gone for many years in a very remote location or a location that's very culturally different than their home country but sometimes even folks who maybe haven't taken a trip before and they go abroad for the first time and they just are shocked so much by what they see in like you said, inspired by what they're experiencing, even then they can come back and feel a little bit jarred. And I think that it can happen to anyone at any stage of travel potentially. So it's really incredible that you're focusing on that because I think it's not talked about frequently. And at least in the US, I know that a lot of study abroad programs and programs that are Sending people on adventures and travels do often focus on culture shock, which is just when you first go to another country or another location that might have a very different culture than your own, what you want to expect there. So a lot of times if you're going through a program that's structured, they'll tell you about These are some things to expect. This is something you might see. Um, This might be jarring to you when you get there. But a lot of times they don't focus on reverse culture shock and coming home. And I know for me and my experiences when I've been abroad for long periods of times, it's been much worse usually when I come back home and try to transition into my home life. Uh, like you were saying, then when I go abroad, maybe because of some of the adrenaline of going somewhere new, I find that really exciting. So I'm just so excited about a new place and doing new things that maybe I don't think about the culture shock as much as I do about the reverse culture shock. But it is really a transition, and a lot of people do need help making that transition more smooth. Mm. Yeah, and you're
1: absolutely right because – travel is exciting. It's fun. It's different. It's adventurous. And there are so many great things about it. But yeah, I think sometimes we do neglect to think about when we come home and it's all over and all of a sudden it's not fun and exciting. And, um, you know, then we're in this situation where sometimes we, we are sitting there and we're looking back on our travel memories and In some case, we may even glorify them a bit and, and think about how incredibly amazing it was. And look, on most occasions, it really is. But, you know, it pulls us out of the present moment. And it's like, instead of looking back to how incredible our time was in our travels, what about... You know, looking where we are right now, and how incredible this moment could be, and and how we can, you know, create something that we're just as excited about back home uh, in in our life moving forward. So. That's what I really try to focus on with the work and with my clients.
0: Yeah, I think that's really amazing. And I think it is great that you're focusing on those types of things because it's easy to just reminisce and be stuck in the past about a trip. But it's also easy sometimes to do the opposite and put it in a bit of a black box and then just kind of box up the experience Mm. in your mind and really disassociate it with your day-to-day life because it was so drastically different and it's mm. not necessarily healthy either to not take anything away from this experience that you've had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to, you know, start having these conversations around this issue because so many people that I talk to who have traveled for, you know, an extensive amount of time or they've lived in a different country Everyone can relate to this experience of when they come home and it just feels so different and they feel lost and they don't know what to do. And so, but no one is really talking about it. And, and whether that's because, you know, the people around them, they just don't relate, or whether they're just, there's not a platform to have that conversation. So that's what I'm really trying
0: to create. Yeah, I think that's really awesome that you're creating that platform. Thank you. So, can you tell us what your favorite thing about traveling is, Abby? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think
1: my favorite thing about traveling is just going to new places. You know, I love going somewhere where I have never been before. I think seeing something for the first time, especially when it, you know, it is really magical and beautiful it's just so intriguing. I, I recently was in India and, uh, went to see the Taj Mahal and I was just so captivated at at how beautiful it was. And you see the Taj Mahal in, in photos everywhere. It's, uh, and, and it just is like this picture perfect structure. And, and when you get there, it's, it's almost exactly the same as you know. It's like a picture, and it's almost like mirage, or if it's not real, it, it's something. It was just so captivating. But mm-hmm. I think when you go to these places, you also get to experience the beautiful energy that comes with you know being in in such a, a beautiful place. And so, but it really is hard to encapsulate you know just one thing about travel. But I think it is going going to those new places. It really sort of starts to open up your mind. Mind and, and you know, see the world in, in a different light.
0: Definitely. It is hard to pick just one thing. And I love what you said about energy in a place because that is very true of sometimes you go somewhere new and it's a completely different vibe. And I think that's really exciting. And it's maybe fun because everyone's feeling the same energy you're feeling of excitement over this beautiful place. Yeah. It's a great dynamic to have in a place.
1: Absolutely and you know that can work both both ways you know you can go to a place which is that makes you feel scared and you makes makes you feel nervous and I think what's really great about travel is you you learn to trust these instincts and you know when you walk into a place that doesn't really seem like you should be there or you get a funny feeling you know what that feeling is like and so You learn how to trust your instincts a little bit more because you're exposed to these situations where, you know, they could be fabulous and amazing, but they could also seem like it's scary and and not a place where you should be. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome. It's uh, It's been so wonderful coming and chatting with you today. I've really loved um, being able to share my story. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's been lovely to chat. And where can we
1: find you on the internet? So you can find me at abbylutus.com and you can find my podcast at The Wonderlusters Mind. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Heather. It's been really fun chatting with you today.
0: Globetrotters, thanks for listening to Transpo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you want more Transpo in your life, you can visit us at Transpo.com, follow us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is at Transpocast, or email us at Transpocast at gmail.com. Also, when you have the chance, please head to slash review and leave us an iTunes review so that other listeners can discover our podcast too and get inspired for their next adventure. Thanks for coming along for the journey.